You're listening to the Games Street Office podcast. I'm James Batchelor, and this week I am joined by Brendan Sinclair, Marie D'Alessandri, and Christopher Dring. We're going to be talking about the biggest stories from the past week, or just in general in the industry, and starting with quite a general topic uh, the recession. I'm going to posit now, like, none of us are advanced economists. You're not going to get an in depth take on, like, when we're in recession, what causes a recession, any of that. But I would like to talk about the the impact a recession has on games industry uh, as, as a business. Um, we have touched on this in recent months on the site. Uh, we've run a piece by analysts, analysts saying that the industry is not so much recession proof as people have claimed in the past, but is more recession resistant. Um, we may be bordering onto semantics there, but the point being that Generally speaking, when people's spending goes down, or at least people's disposable income goes down and costs are up, video gaming fares fairly well as a form of entertainment because it's it's more value for money than, say, going out uh, to the cinema or going out for a uh, meal or, you know, buying films, buying vinyl, like, compared to other hobbies, there's good value for money in, in video gaming. Um... It's kind of been brought to the fore again by all the various economic things that are going right are going on right now. The pound is suffering, to say it mildly. Um, again, we're not experts in this, but it, it is clear that a form of recession is coming. If not, it's already here. It does feel a little bit like the kind of the 2008 uh, global collapse, uh, which I grant you, I was like an intern back then. I was kind of less aware of it, but I can imagine this was kind of the atmosphere in the run up. I just want to kind of get like team thoughts on on how well we think games and games companies will fare for this. What games companies are doing to cope with this, uh, the the oncoming storm, as it were. Hmm. It is a storm um, because it's not just um, <clears throat> economic uncertainty. There's also inflation, which is actually going to hurt companies more than um, the recession. Actually, I, I think will hurt. It's already hurting companies right now. Right, we're seeing across uh, major companies pausing recruitment at the minute while they try and assess um what they're gonna have to do with their you know costs of costs of workers basically um and then you've also got that combined with the post-pandemic lull which um we're, we're very much living through in games sales are, are are fallen quite quite sharply you combine that with people are going on holiday so people are actually what you, what you talk about there james is this recession um resilience is coming from people see the value of money in games over going for a meal you know you go out for a meal it costs more than a video game but the reality is you know we've, we've had a very long period of time where people didn't go out for very many meals they didn't go on many holidays so are they actually going to forgo holidays and meals for video games or the other way around in this in this situation it, you know we can make those comparisons 2008 2009 which was actually a peak point for the games industry um uh, but actually it's not like for like um and so there is a storm, quite a few things. And you've also got other things like um, uh, uh, the way we're sort of the industry's pivoting in terms of business models um, towards things like Game Pass, which is also impacting in for some titles, um, traditional sales. And uh, all of that stuff is creating a level of uncertainty. And if I was an investor-backed company, not so much, you know, if I was owned by Microsoft or Tencent, I'm not feeling too worried. But if I'm owned by an investor at the moment that's, you know, tied to the markets in any way, I'd be... It's it's a really scary time. I think we're, we're looking at a, a potentially significant change um, in this industry, and this is in, in the short term some quite negative disruption. I fear. Um, happy happy conversation. 
Yeah. In in 2008, you you at least had uh, mobile gaming and free to play were clearly ascendant. Um, so there was there was you knew that there were still segments of the industry that that were going to be growing and and probably considerably. And I I don't necessarily see that at the moment. I I don't think any of the next big things that we've been talking about for years now VR AR blockchain web three whatever i don't i don't think any of them are gonna you know be the cavalry here that saves anyone's bacon the way the way the iphone and smartphones in general did um back then there there are a couple of things that i think are interesting uh here and one one of them is the consolidation trend um because we've clearly had this going on for years now uh, in the industry with a bunch of uh, massive companies being scooped up. But I think also as um, as companies struggle in, in a recession, I think we'll see further consolidation, but more of the, well, you know, we're going under so you can get a bargain on us kind instead of the 50% premium on share price kind. Um, so I, I think it'll be interesting in a bad way to see any kind of acceleration and consolidation on that front um and beyond that i'm also concerned about the impact this will have on sort of marginal development scenes one of the things i remember from 2008 really the the 2005 2010 really is the australian game development scene just seemingly collapsing um and and i think the the 2008 recession really accelerated that uh and and it it took quite a while for for game development uh there to recover at least you know from my perception on the other side of the world and and uh, just this morning as we record this, I, I saw the news about Mighty Kingdom um, laying off a bunch of staff as as they've come out of a period of like, you know, bulking up and hiring a bunch. So it's I, I, I think like the, you know, the San Francisco's and the Montreal's uh, will will probably weather this a little better. But I, I do worry about, you know any kind of development scene that is more dependent on a smaller number of studios to keep it thriving. I'm going to be um, slightly um, slightly optimistic about the recession in that I, I think we won't necessarily see it in the data because there's a couple of things that are happening. For starters, this isn't a normal recession because un un unemployment is low. Um, really, so people have money, they have jobs, they're just that money is just being spent on, you know, it just needs to go further, you know, it, they're, they're their energy bills and all their costs of going up. So they're spending less money, but they do have money. People do have money. They're just choosing what they spend it on. So that's that's one positive. The other one is that um, the PlayStation 5, which has really held the market back in the last couple of years, has is now coming into full supply. Um, the numbers that I'm seeing for September for PS5 are are sort of near the launch numbers that we used to see. It's not quite, it's not there yet, but it's sort of getting in that direction. I think we're about to see a very, very strong end of year for PlayStation 5, and that's your key platform. Um, going forward. The other um, element of optimism is actually next year for video games is very strong. So uh, you will start seeing, um, and so when people are making decisions on what they purchase, 
I think games is going to factor into that um, quite highly when you've considered, you know, from the platform holders, you've got Zelda, Starfield and Spider-Man. And then and then when you start going deeper, there, there's um, Assassin's Creed and there's um, Suicide Squads and there's um, ha- the Harry Potter game and there's um, Resident Evil. And you can go on and on. There's, there's a long list of strong titles for next year. So I think that might mask um, things so recessionary wise. It's it, it might look OK. I just think it's when you go beneath that, when you look at some of the games that um, are, you know, I, I don't know. I, you know, recently Two Point Campus announced it had I can't remember how many sales it said it did a million sales, two million or no, two million players, two million players. But I've seen I, I've looked at the positioning on the charts of that game and it's they're really low. And that worries me, that does. I'm assuming it's got a load of players through subscriptions because it's in Game Pass. So it worries me when I look at smaller titles like that and how they're performing. Um, because if I'm, you know, if you're being more careful with your money, if you're being more mindful about what you're spending it on, it's those titles that miss out. But I do think there are opportunities for smaller devs in those scenes because I look at what Netflix is doing in games and I look at what Amazon's doing in games. And I think what's interesting about what they're doing is they're not targeting gamers in the traditional way they are targeting their audience of you know you know their their gender splits their audiences older players you know they are looking for snackable games games that are 30 minutes you know a call of duty game that lasts 30 minutes you know that kind of thing and i think that's an opportunity for the games industry going forward if we're looking for where the where those where the things might be but um i'm sort of looking for um light spots at the moment in what feels like a very very gloomy time I'm most intrigued because for me, the industry, this industry, this version of the game industry is completely untested against a major economic shift. So the 2008 recession was obviously the biggest one, um, or certainly the biggest one that we, we dealt with so far. There were recessions prior to that, but like 2008 and backwards, the industry was always very much kind of centered around the traditional model of people buy games in stores and use them on their devices whether that's console or pc as brendan said like mobile was kind of up and coming around the the 2008 one but the the whole free-to-play space hadn't fully formed the the business model hadn't become as dominant as it is the mobile wasn't as dominant as it is you look now the overall games industry mobile is more than half of that vast majority of the mobile revenues are driven by free-to-play and the understanding I always get is that majority of mobile revenues still come from, like, if not the whales, and then at least like the regular, the regular, regular paying customers, like you know the the players who are willing to make multiple transactions, regular transactions on one or two titles, and this that version of the industry, the industry that is reliant on the same people buying more and more things in your game that has already come out the you know the game they've been playing forever that industry hasn't been tested by or it hasn't encountered that like what happens if the whales stop spending or if they cut back on their spending what happens if you know chris you mentioned game pass like you know there are so many subscriptions at the moment like people are going to have to start questioning like what subscriptions do i drop i actually think i actually think recession might benefit subscription you know, if you if you're okay. somebody that likes to play a lot of games and you're worried about your expenditure, you might want to subscribe to something. You know, it might give you um, that sort of thing. I, I worry about the subscription model on the impact upon everybody, though. I think that's the that's the thing. I, I, I've, been, I've been having a lot of it happened at GI Live and at EGX. I spoke to so many companies that are really questioning Game Pass at the minute um, and um, because they're starting to see, particularly on PC, 
they're starting to see their PC numbers really get impacted by it in a negative way. It's less of an issue on console because, you know, you, if you're in Game Pass on Xbox, you're probably going to see good numbers on PlayStation or if you're if you're on Switch, Switch. But um, for from PC, I think we're starting to see, you know, really underperformance of certain titles. Um, and, you know, st st I think you, you've got a combination of that. You've got, you've got, I don't want to go too on about Game Pass. I don't think it's the biggest problem. But the um, you've got... You've got that's two. I saw some Steam concurrent user numbers a couple of weeks ago for the summer, and it's and it's sort of twenty eighteen levels. And you sort of couple that with the you know people. So they, we've lost. I think we've lost like a quarter of players in the last couple of years because they've all they will probably go on holiday. Maybe not permanently lost them, but temporarily lost them. And the, but the numbers of games coming out are so much higher, and I can see why. Yeah, I, and I and I think Game Pass might be one of the reasons for that I, I think it's more likely that you know people are going on holiday there was an interesting somebody told me an interest i don't know i haven't looked it up but somebody told me if you look at the number increase in people going through customs over the summer and you look at the decline in engagement that games are getting it's almost like a perfect match <laughs> um so you know there isn't a lot of people being on holiday but um, um what you were saying there about sorry interrupting you there about subscription um you know it's, it is a cheap you know if you play a lot of games um, it is a more affordable way of doing that, particularly if you're somebody that likes to download lots of Steam titles, um, you know, when they're in the sale and things like that. Um, you sort of, you know, you can just subscribe to this one thing and you can get a, a, a lot of a, access to a lot of stuff. I, but we'll see. I, I don't know. I, I can no, I can see that argument. I can see the argument for subscriptions. I guess, like you, you, you cut yourself. Given the the multitude of video subscriptions, I can see people kind of cutting themselves to to one video subscription, but still maintaining one game subscription. As I say, like my my concern is like it's the all the the games and and companies that are reliant on that uh, concurrent user spending. Uh, you know, so you know, GTA Online payments, you know, FIFA Ultimate Team packs, like those, all those business models that rely on people still spending money months, if not years, after the game has come out. I wonder how that fares when people reconsider how they're spending things or what what they actually have, what they actually prioritize as a cost. What Chris was saying earlier about. Um developers and publishers kind of being a little wary of, of game pass now um it it reminds me you know like a year or two ago when we were seeing all these stories about how like oh we went into game pass and it actually boosted our sales outside of game pass this is so great and it reminds me a lot of when steam first started taking off and uh valve was doing the rounds talking about how like oh well we we had a free weekend of left for dead on steam or a, a ridiculous deep discount sale on it and that actually boosted sales of the game at gamestop in in the weeks after that and and i think it's it's sort of a um a common pattern with, with things like this because when you you know when you offer a new way to get something at a you know a great advantage to the consumer they they don't all take it right away at once you know it has to be proven out by like early adopters that that oh i'll i'll take a chance on that that sounds like a good good deal and then word of mouth spreads and then pretty soon everyone's like well i mean this keeps happening why why should i pay full price for games at, at, at gamestop when i can just get them so much cheaper through steam and it's convenient and everything like that and then and then uh with with game pass it's it's just you know you don't you don't sign up for Game Pass uh, the day that you hear Spiritfarer is going to be on there 
day one at launch you you sign up when you know six more games that you're interested in come out and all of them were in game pass at launch and you're like oh wow that's yeah i should i should get on this and i like i give valve a lot of guff but like the thing with steam and gamestop is like steam was just kind of offering an objectively better experience than buying a pc game at at gamestop and paying more for it um and and that that didn't you know if, if there's a kind of disruption of the industry that's like yeah well you know you just made things better then then that would be that with game pass though yeah it really worries me just because we've we've seen the effect streaming has had on on other industries and uh with with if game pass does take off and i could see this recession helping that along in a significant way like that that has some pretty significant consequences for developers who are finding themselves unable to launch a game successfully on pc the way they could before um and and even with other other platforms switch or 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 sony if they wind up leaning into subscriptions more and it becomes something of an industry standard the way streaming has in music then that's that could have you know disastrous implications down the line yeah like when you've when you've got a um what what, it still happens right you still get a game come out in a subscription service and it boosts the physical unit sales particularly if the majority of your audience or the majority of a audience is utilizing the other business model so, you know, in the case of, you know, GameStop, Left 4 Dead came out, pushed it into Steam, uh, loads and lo- had a free weekend, loads of uh, online players played it. But of course, there were loads of people who aren't in that, in that ecosystem who haven't played it and, it and it word of mouth spread. The moment the, when the more people you bring across into that ecosystem, the, the impact of that's less and less. I think Stray, judging what, what Shue was saying during our talk at GI Live, um, Stray is a similar game. That can't day and date in a subscription service. Um, it, it sort of reached a decent audience. It was talked about a lot and it's now benefited the game's um, um, sort of uh, game, you know, traditional sales performance, which is which is great for Stray. But, it, 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 but there are examples of games which, which just aren't going in the other direction there. And, and you know, I'm, I'm, the, the thing is with Game Passes, I've always been, you know, I've spoken on this before, I've always been sceptical of its ability to reach the widest possible audience because I've always believed that, you know, gamers only play a couple of games a year. But one of those games, you know, the broad audience, and why would they subscribe to something if, particularly if those games that they do play every year aren't in Game Pass? But one of those games is Call of Duty. And I think that, you know, that's probably where a lot of the fear from Sony's coming from at the moment around that, you know, to not not pivoting the conversation, but... um you know, Call of Duty is a game millions and millions of people play and it might be one of only two games that they play every year. And that game is, if it goes into Game Pass, that's a huge audience. Um, and that is a game changer for that subscription service. Because actually, you know, I don't mean to be... I know game Pass has been successful. It clearly makes a lot of money. It's, it's helped some developers. But I don't think... Is it 25 million Game Pass subscribers that we're on at the minute? Um, I don't know the exact number, but I'm actually not that impressed by that number. You know, it's been you've been doing day and date for Game Pass now for over four years, and you're sort of, um, you know, you've not sold more than the N64. Um, I, I'm not that sure, but like, how many how many Xbox system sellers first party have come out in that time? Yeah, it's like, true. It, it, it's it's been a pretty dry four years for like the hey, it's this true. is the thing that's going to get us to sign up for Game Pass. There's been Halo Infinite, which 
had nest, issues, I guess. Nest, but, yeah. yeah. Sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, carry on. No, no, I interrupted you. I apologize. No, 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 you were right. No, you know, you're saying you're saying that they, there hasn't been a lot of first party stuff, but they have put a lot of effort into it, pushing it right. And there's there's been Microsoft Flight Simulator, and, um, and then there's been um, uh, yeah. But you're right. It's 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 been quite, particularly when they launched Day and Date. I think that year, which was 2018, it was Sea of Thieves and Forza Horizon, and you know that was the grand total of their big titles. But you know, I'm still not especially impressed with that figure. But it is a big. That's an engaged figure, right? That's not 25 million. Uh, uh, user base that's not like a console install base there's 25 million people that are paying monthly or yeah i think you have to play monthly on game pass don't you you're paying or paying monthly to access the library of games so that's that's a significant number of people that are checking it every day but i am long-term worried about it um i'm not i'm i'm still not entirely sold that it my worry about it actually is more that i don't know if game if game pass can only really be seen as a positive thing in games if it widens the audience for gaming to hundreds upon hundreds of millions of players if it can they use the word billions but if they can reach if they can if they can turn console game if they can turn like play gamers in india into console gamers for instance then it's a good it's a you know via streaming and via you know mobile and via game pass then then it's potentially a positive but i i'm i'm skeptical um i i'm not convinced that um people will subscribe to something when they only play one or two games a year on average. So, um, and it, so therefore what they've ended up doing is just training core gamers to spend less. And that is, you know, that particularly going to hurt in the PC space. Right. Um, so, yeah, is, is game, is game pass big enough now that this model and that price point for users can go away like Microsoft. I'm, guessing is still losing considerable amounts of money um in 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 game pass uh i mean you might argue that they're making it up by the you know installed base of the xbox series xs being being what it is but um it, it still strikes me as like a lost leader you know and we we see companies um offer a compelling service at a, at a good price for quite a while um you know, whether it's in, in games or, or tech or, you know, things like Uber even. Um, and then when it comes time to, to make money, then they, they tighten the screws and they make it a worse deal for everyone involved. I mean, we've, we've got Twitch doing that right now. Uh, and like Game Pass is big enough now that I don't, I don't know if Microsoft decides it's just losing too much money and they shut it down. Like if gamers aren't already just kind of conditioned to like, no, no, that's, you know, that's what the price for this kind of uh, suite of game experiences is. And we, we aren't, you know, we aren't going to tolerate something that's more expensive for a worse selection of games, or we don't want to go back to, you know, paying 60, $70 per game like uh, i wonder if i wonder if the ship's already already sailed on that to some extent even though like 25 million is is like i agree with you chris that it's it's not you know a, a runaway success number for microsoft for as long as they've been doing this but i i do think it it has been big enough uh, and widespread enough to to change the way people perceive value in in games I do 
I do think it's going to take something like Call of Duty, though, to really push that into bigger numbers. I mean, obviously, it'll grow and Starfield will grow it, I'm sure. Um, but I do think they need that that really big game if they want to go beyond its core audience. But um, we still, I feel like we've deviated quite far off the <laughs> central recession. <time. laughs> um, so what we need to do now is talk about Nintendo's first party lineup for the next generation. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to hit all of our tedious bases that we just keep going back to and wasting 30 minutes an episode on. But it's interesting. Sorry. I was going to take us down a tangent there. It's like, you know, if, if, if Nintendo releases a Switch 2 next year, like how many people are going to be able to afford it? But that is definitely a tangent we do not need to well, go down. I, I, that would be entirely I, I, speculation. No, but I think, I think you know, you make... Oh, here we go. No, no, no I'm not going, to talk, not going to talk about Nintendo specifically, but I will say this. It's very easy to predict where the industry is going to go and then something comes along and makes you go, oh, hang on. If you'd have told us, you know, if you'd have told me in 20, this time in 2016, that Nintendo's going to release a portable, actually, I, I would have known at this point, but 2015, that the biggest selling games console in the world was going to be a portable games console from Nintendo, um, and um, it plays cartridges and the games cost 50 quid, I would just, I wouldn't believe it. I thought, no, the industry's moved beyond that. We've gone, it's not, with all mobile in hand in that kind of space, Nintendo don't make those kind of successful games anymore. And it, and it, and it just shows, you know, we, we can sit here and feel that, um, you know, it's all going to become streaming and subscription in the immediate future. But the reality is, you know, subscription is clearly a profitable business model. It's clearly one over lots of gamers. The recession is clearly worrying um, for lots of people. But there are lots of big games coming out next year and they're normal games, the sort of games that we're used to, single player, action adventure titles. Most of them are going to be sold in boxes. Um, there's uh, a lot of um, one of the big trends in games is video games becoming um uh, telling it moving into movies and tv streaming we just saw the success cyberpunks had um on the back of its stuff and sony are obviously gearing itself up to hopefully capitalize on a similar moment for the last of us um you've got um you've got you know vr starting to have another cert you know another another vr is not going to be huge amounts of money um but it, it's it, there is an audience there it is a profitable little business in the games market there are things that are happening immediately um in the next you know the next 12 months not streaming not subscriptions which in many ways are we're talking about the future business models here that um, are interesting and, you know, actually might have a more immediate benefit to companies that might be feeling a little bit wondering where to aim when, you know, when they're at the moment, you know, and we've seen it in the media, right? I mean, sorry to deviate from that even further, but the games media has had a horrible year, absolutely turgid year. And it's similar in a way to what publishers are starting to feel at the minute in that, they invested, invested, they bought and bought and expanded, expanded, expanded because there was tons of money that was coming in, flowing in from investment, flowing in from the money that was generated through game sales during the pandemic. And now we're seeing a real contraction of that mixed with economic uncertainty. And the result is a pause on hiring and, you know, pauses on hiring. We're talking about, you talk, you know, we're starting to see talks of layoffs. There was during GI Live, during that panel, investment panel on GI Live, they talked about publishers going under. You know, there's a lot of warning. I've heard the words... Um, um, planet killers from certain game failures recently for, for certain publishers. Not a, a term I've not heard since um, sort of the days of Midway and THQ and you draw and that kind of stuff. And it's, it's um, yeah, I, I, I feel, uh, I sometimes feel that the games industry just needs to sort of just calm down a little bit, you know, and the same with the media. Don't get too excited. You know, this, this will, you know, games industry is growing. There are new opportunities. There are new big players in the market is change and it's going to be disruptive change i think i think that's inevitable but i think overall um games are just pointing in the in the broadly white direction it's just it's broadly in the upwards trajectory 
It's just that there's going to be some blips and some downturns and some, you know, moments of where companies are going to have to pivot and think and be careful. And, and I hope that happens. I hope that we, many businesses as possible, get through this next, I don't know how long it'll be, 12, 18 months, maybe even longer. Yeah. The the concern for me is that it's the indie and the smaller studios because you've got the combination of, you know, the, the recession, rising inflation, cost of living, all these things that really put a squeeze on those with a fewer costs. And we've been talking a lot about consumers, but like, you know, indie studios, indie developers who... You know, I imagine many live from kind of funding to funding and like, you know, need to secure investment to keep going. Like the amount that may have to kind of either put their business on pause or put their project on pause and, and seek employment elsewhere if needed. Like, yeah, just the the growing cost of running a business and the the growing cost of developing a game and the long time it takes to develop a game and secure the investment and the publishing deal required if they're going for a publisher um but you know the investment and maybe publishing deal required to get that game to market um this is going to be a very very uncomfortable year to put it mildly and i'm i'm just really hoping like i said like that that uh, developer i've seen that was talking about how one publisher they pitched to is uh, you know took six months or three months to come back and said they're no longer green lighting games and they're pausing you know their signing of games that they're going to publish like if that's the case at multiple publishers that narrows the number that that narrows the number of options indies have to get their game to market um yeah it's it's going to be a really really rough couple of years for the indie scene and that's that's a shame because that's where obviously the biggest innovation comes out of if we seem overly pessimistic just keep in mind that the common factor here is that we are all in games media <laughs> yeah, as I said, my memories of the last reception was coming in on a Monday morning, ready to work, and being told by being told that my uh, entire company had gone insolvent, and being out on the street by eleven in the morning. So that was fun. Um, so yeah, I, I, I the word recession instills no small amount of fear for me, but uh, I, I'm, I'm I'm quietly hoping that we can we can get through this. Like I mean, you know. The entire industry is not going to get through this unscathed. No, it's not like there's going to be no casualties. I just hope that they are to a minimum because the industry has been growing so much in the last 10, 15 years. And, you know, for all the fact that we're in a post-pandemic lull or at least a post-lockdown lull, there is a lot on the horizons, Chris. I like, you know, there's a really solid lineup for next year. I just, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping the impact that this has is, is kept to a minimum. The other subject we wanted to talk about this week was the uh, GTA leak and leaks in general. Now, this, granted, happened uh, a good couple of weeks ago at this point, but we've been busy with things like GI Live and EGX and actually doing our jobs. Uh, so we haven't kind of had a chance to discuss this on the podcast, and I kind of wanted to give us a time to kind of air out and talk about the various implications of this sort of issue. Like, this is by far and away the biggest example of a leak that can happen. So almost an hour of footage uh, from 
the next Grand Theft Auto. People keep on calling it GTA 6. Obviously, there's no confirmed title, but it's almost certainly GTA 6. Um, the next Grand Theft Auto, uh, about an hour's footage is leaked. Um, the reactions to this have uh, varied. Obviously, you've got people who... There are some people who recognise that, yes, this is looking promising for the early stage that it's in. Uh, a lot of people are excited that it's confirmed that it's Vice City again, although seemingly not in the 80s. We have got confirmation that it's a... Uh, female playable protagonist for you know at least one of the protagonists is uh, is female but the the overarching conversation around this has been the impact of leaks on developers um starting i'm, I'm going to start briefly with the uh, the complete misunderstanding from many uh, users on twitter of how games development works we've uh, seen the great threads of um Basically, people commenting like, "Well, you know, this game looks awful. It looks worse than GTA 4. Like, what on earth they're doing? They're such lazy developers." Completely misunderstanding the fact, understanding the fact that these are obviously placeholder or at least not final graphics. And we've seen a wonderful um, response from developers showing, like, "No, this is what games look like during development." My favorite was the uh, Uncharted. Uh, Naughty Dog shared the the Jeep chase from Uncharted, which is basically. Yeah, a fairly well-rendered Jeep in just a blocky maze of grey, gridded things that will one day become a very almost photorealistic town. Um, so yeah, A, there's a complete misunderstanding there of how games development works, um, and that's something developers got to contend with. But then there's, there's also like the impact of the leaks. Like, you know, for, all the, for all of us that know that this is not what games development looks like, um, kind of you know midway through or even early on in the cycle, the amount of abuse that's and, and complaints and you know disappointment that's been going out towards the Rockstar developers, that's got to be beyond disheartening. If you've been working your ass off on this and it's looking as good as it is now, and then they're complaining. Yeah, that's, that's it's funny because obviously so I was on holiday when the the leak happened, and even from the middle of nowhere in Croatia with mm, shitty internet connection, I couldn't escape the the GTA 6 leak and it made me so angry to see everyone like everything you just described people just not understanding game development right and so like yeah the, just my main takeaway from this thing I think is just how tiring it must be to work in an industry where 90% I mean I say 90% I don't know the percentage obviously but of your audience just doesn't know doesn't understand what you're doing and how you're doing it and like I think this speaks uh, volume to. <laughs> well, sorry, Marie, you do work in an industry like that. I hate to. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. But we're talking about game. De- yeah, I mean, I know how tiring it is, but this isn't about me, right? This isn't about the games journalism. I don't make. I just write silly words on on the page, you know. So it's not a big deal. No, I'm kidding, obviously, but yeah, I do understand that too. But this isn't about games journalists, and like I just think this speaks volume to the work we. We, I guess, as a journalist as well, but the industry in general needs to do to, like, amplify and explain and educate people about how you make video games. And, like, it actually made me think, we were talking about GI Live earlier, and there's that talk that Gina Jackson uh, did that was absolutely brilliant that was called Everyone Hates Us and We Don't Care, But We Should. And I think this is exactly it as well. It's like, people hate us, think... They know how to make games. They obviously don't know how to make games. And it's just this lack of understanding in how making games work, I think for me, is yeah, it's tied to so many other issues we have, the lack of diversity, the lack of inclusion, the lack of accessibility. And I don't understand how we can hire 
a wider, I mean, we don't hire at the moment anyway, as we just discussed, but uh, we can hire a wider array of people if the majority of our audience is so like in the dark about how games are made. So I don't know, all these things are completely tied for me and just makes me a bit angry. And when I was preparing for the podcast earlier, I, I saw that quote that I was not aware of from Rockstar co-founder Dan Hauser, who said that like a few years ago, I think it was 2018, games are still magical. It's like they're made by elves. I think you gain something by not knowing how they're made. And I don't understand how you can say something like that, even in 2018. I don't know. This is all but yeah, I guess one positive aspect has been developers sharing their work in progress, right? And actually having that educational benef- benefit of showing up. See, this is actually what games look like. And this is the work that's being done even to the last minute. So I guess this, that's the one. If I can help just one person understand the process better, then I guess this whole leak won't have been in vain. But overall, it's just very disheartening, was, isn't it? Was was. Was Hauser's quotes before or after it was revealed that his elves, his magical elves, were working 100 like, I hours? I think it was actually after, believe it or not. No, I don't want to actually... Oh, maybe let me... Like, I'll, I should probably fact check that. It was in 2018, I remember. But I don't... When were the... When did Red Dead come out? I can't remember. Now. Red Dead was out end of October. So there's not much of 2018 after I'll, that I'll, release. For him it was in October 2018, I think. I will just... I, I'm a little sceptical that a lot of the criticism... Because I, I only actually saw lots of people getting angry with the criticism. I didn't actually see as much criticism. I saw lots and lots of people going on about the criticism. And I sort of jumped in a few of the forums that I'm on. And there were people ranting about the existence of criticism. I didn't see many... didn't see much of the criticism itself. I did see a couple of people in my Twitter feed. Because my Twitter feed seems to have attracted monsters. Um, but the, um, <laughs> but the, the, the thing is, I think people are just a bit pissed off with Rockstar. That's my my theory on this is because the thing is, game, they do know what games look like in development. Like I, I, gamers do, at least the hardcore gamers do. EA have been announcing games and showing pre 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 alpha footage now for quite some time. You know, games with grey boxes and Star Wars stuff without any assets in and all this kind of thing. It's been their thing. It's been their shtick. Yeah, and but that's that, controlled messaging, though. Yes, like, that's they true. Control that's they, they, there's no, there's no control over this. You know, people are assuming, people are looking at these leaks and saying, "Oh, why does it look like that?" And EA is explaining this is pre pre alpha. I get that. And to be fair, people have argued with me there, and I kind of, I don't disagree with them. But just that Rockstar pissed off fans with Red Dead Online and what's gone on there. They pissed off fans with GTA Trilogy Collection. They're pissing off um, uh, the trolls by putting a woman. Woman in the game, right? Oh, and, they. and so, and I wouldn't be surprised if they are, if they're, they just what they're, they're pre, they're, they're already angry. They just decided they're going to be angry, and they're finding things to be angry about. Um, I may, and I know there are people that don't sort of don't get it as well. But I just, um, uh, I'm, you know, I actually thought the game looked great, um, and I think it's probably going to be amazing. Um, and I don't, um, the, leaks like this aren't that common. I don't think you know where they're sort of leaking. This is, these are the leaks that I don't like. I don't, I don't like any leaks, to be clear, but I do think that games games industry is moving away from keeping the existence of a game secret. You know, if, if a game is being... You know, we saw last... Was it last week, week before, they announced that Iron Man game. And the game hasn't even started production. <laughs> it's just, we're working on an Iron Man game. We've signed a deal, let's announce it. We're, still, we're seeing that happen increasingly amongst every title. We're, they're announcing, we're building a studio. And because partly because they need to hire people for these games, but partly because... It's just, you know, this is how it works in movies. They say a, a thing is being worked on 
And then you don't hear about it again until six months out or whatever, depending on how long the PR campaign is going to be for it. And then they start showing trailers and footage from it. And in games, that's probably going to be longer because they like to get fans feedback in early. But um, um, so I don't mind, you know, I, I think the industry is moving away from game, game, you know, the Jeff Grubb leaks of this game exists. Um, but leaks like this are just, um, you don't normally, it's, it's unprecedented, right? Getting the whole getting so much of that game just dumped on it's it was it was headline news around the world it's actually oddly probably one of the biggest news stories of the year for video games um outside <laughs> of our circle and it was it was it was a phenomenal um thing but it's just goes to show right people want a new gta they really want <laughs> sure that. do um, no you're right like it, it is it is huge like you know the fact that it's been you know the, the, uh, a 17 year old has been arrested in connection with this and other hacks. And, um, and you know, I believe the same culprits believe, you know, believed to have hacked Uber, but you know, the headlines on like, you know, the, the BBC are still like, you know, 17 year old arrested for GTA hack. Like, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been unprecedented. So I will go back slightly to the, the people not understanding how games are uh, made. Cause there was one tweet I saw and I really wish I'd saved it, but, um, Someone tweeting, you know, tweeting like, you know, games don't look like this. Everyone knows that the graphics and the art style are done first, and then the tools and the pipeline are made later, and you build the game from that. And then, like, kind of the follow up to, like, you know, he replied to his own tweet. I know this because I've been studying at insert educational establishment here. I can't remember. I believe it was like a an American university, and a developer quoted that tweet and said, like, this is really worrying for the state of games education because if there are courses if there are genuinely courses out there that are teaching that games development is done you know graphics first as it were then that it's not just a concern that there's just general ignorance out there but that ignorance is being instilled into people on these courses like if that's the case that is that is genuine and concerning just wanted to Bring that back to well, the, thankfully the, you don't the complete misunderstanding there. Yeah, thankfully yeah, you don't necessarily need a, a diploma, I guess, or to go to you need to learn about how games are made. But that no, would be concerning absolutely. for sure. But I don't know how much of that is true. Sorry, Brenz, anyway, we're going to say something. In some ways, it, it seems like the marketing of a game and educating an audience in exactly how a game is made seem to be working at you know opposite purposes there. Like they they just are not fundamentally compatible in in some ways i think and there is there is room for like what ea is doing where they they show some gray box stuff and and give you a little a little peeks at you know what it is so that you can kind of get get some sense of where they're heading um but but even that is still marketing uh and and they are they're controlling of of what they release there and 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 when and and i think just the more that you know about something, the more you understand the ins and outs and the complexities and the nuances of it, the less marketable that is, you know, that it doesn't condense itself to uh, a tagline that you can put on a poster and hang off the side of the LACC. Uh, you know, it's, it's not good for a 30 second commercial spot. It kind of needs to be really simple and glossy and the vast majority of your audience is not going to care about learning more about how the sausage is made because all they want is just like when they go to the store and buy the game they want it to be fun and and it works for them so 
Like I, as, as much as I uh, would like everyone to understand the realities of game development better, I think the industry actually has a vested interest in kind of maintaining the status quo here and in, in keeping uh, people that are, you know, like an audience that, that really only cares about the marketing, you know? Yeah, and also I feel like not only the industry has, a, has an interest in, in things staying as they are, but I also, I, f- I feel like that's a bit worrying that on top of it, the audience, actually, I feel like they don't want to know. The vast majority of the audience doesn't care about how games are made. And I think that's a bit sad slash worrying. Like, I feel like we're a bit disconnected to our audience, or maybe it's just because games are much more complicated to make than, say, a film. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying, but it's just it's just a bit weird that there doesn't seem to be that much of an interest. And but then they will be the first one to complain that it doesn't look exactly how they thought it was going to look like. Or I don't know. Our audience is a bit. Hmm, it is what it's it is. I, I don't know if people are that interested in how films are made. Really, I think it's just no, maybe not. I, I, but I, but you are right. But more people are interested in how films are made because you know they build these great big sets and they have these um, famous people sort of sitting in trailers and it's sort of it's sort of exciting. Um, I, I can guarantee you a documentary on the making of um, of any video game is going to be a couple of people sitting in a room in a white, with a whiteboard discussing and then and then about three years of people tapping at their computer. Um, I think, it, but yeah, I, I, it's it's difficult to try and to try and educate some. It's always difficult to try and sell something that's not that interesting, isn't it? Really, but I think I think though it's a generational thing because kids today are being taught this. They're being you know maybe not well enough. But they are being taught how to make stuff in, you know, how to program things. You know, when I was at school, I was told how to use Microsoft Excel and now um, and Microsoft Access, which I don't even know if it exists anymore. Um, and um, and uh, whereas, you know, my brother, who was only 10 years younger than me, was being taught how to program stuff. And I suspect the next generation's even been taught that and they will have a better idea, hopefully. Um, but um, but also, you know, people on the Internet, they're horrible. <laughs> Yeah. Well, <laughs> if if you look at video games as like as an art form and it, and it's one that you are, you know, really passionate about and you're just really into, then yeah, you you're probably going to care about how how they're made and what goes on with it. Um if if you think about games as a product, the way I might think about a rice cooker as a product, um then it's just kind of like, well, I I just want it to work you know, and, and, and how it was designed. I mean, maybe there's some part of the design that I can look at and say, Oh, that's kind of clever. Um, but like, you know, I just, I just don't appreciate it or care enough to appreciate it on that deeper level because that's, that's not what I have it for. You know, I just have it for like this, this seemingly straightforward functional purpose. And that's all I care about. And, and I think that's the way a lot of people, um view games i think it's a way a lot of people view movies or music or, or or anything else that they you know any other creative work that that they will witness but not really like get heated about that they that that doesn't like speak to their very soul they're, they're just kind of like yeah that's that's cool that's nice that's the thing that i did for a while and now on to the next thing and and I think I think that that audience drives so much of the revenue in games um, that I, I I think marketing 
like significantly changing from what it is right now, which speaks to that audience and then has the diehard, I want to know everything people also come along for the ride. Uh, I, I, I think that makes a lot more sense than to cater to the, the diehard. I want to know everything people um, at the risk of like, you know, alienating the, the people that are just there for a good time or just want, you know, the, the thing as a product. I think going to back to your point about just want you know people who just want to know how things work. I think in in the instance of this leak in particular, gameplay gives an impression of how something will work. I think video games are prominent enough as a media, and certainly the sort of people complaining of this have played enough games that you can kind of watch footage and assume you know how that feels to play because you've played enough similar games. And game leaks, particularly gameplay leaks give you more of that than say film leaks. Film leaks I can say, oh cool, you know, here's a drone shot of the, you know, the the Star Wars airfield that they're building ahead of Force Awakens. That does not tell you anything about what the film is about, what scenes, what the scene there is going to be like, what the the final product's going to be like. The mystery is still there. But with games, you can see, right, okay, so the shooting's going to work like this. And oh, we're going to be, you know, raiding petrol stations again like and, and you, you know the city's going to look like this you get more of a sense of what the final product will be. even in this not even vaguely final form you get more of a sense of the final product from a game leak than you do from a film leak you know you leak a, i don't think i agree yeah. with that actually because oh, like I, I mean i don't know you saying so you think that we saying you get more of the final product in a games trader than you do in a film trader just checking that I did understand what you just said. Sort of um, a gameplay leak. I'm talking leaks. If you if you, yeah. if you leak if you leak gameplay footage, you get more of a sense of what the final game is going to be to play like. You get more of a sense of what the experience will be like overall than you would if you saw a picture of a film set or like 30 seconds of of green screen footage with no special effects. That's that's kind of fair. Like even even with movie trailers, you know, sometimes I'll I'll watch and it's like, "Oh, well that was a minute and a half of a comedy." And then you go see the actual movie and it's like, "No, this is a heart-wrenching drama with like some little, you know, about a minute and a half of dark humor in it." And they just decided to market it as this thing instead of that thing and it's a yeah, there's there's something to be said for that. I but think. but but equally, there's been so many film trailers that literally tell you everything you need yeah. to oh, know about farty, the film farty, in like a minute yeah. and a half, and then you see the film and you're like, oh fuck, I seen. Oh sorry, also I seen true. the whole thing in the in the trailer. Uh, so I guess that's why my reaction was 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 it what it was. And similarly, I've seen a but lot like, okay. of games but trailer that- where I'm like. When I play the game, I'm like, oh, I'm actually hating how this plays, despite having been like certain that I was going to love it. And actually, Red Dead Redemption is a great example, the I, second one, uh, where I absolutely hated how it played. But watching stuff about Red Dead, absolutely love it. But it, I hate how it plays. And that no trailer could actually tell me that. I mean, that's a completely no, no, different I, debate that, altogether, I guess. I think that's interesting. It's interesting. We are comparing a leak to a trailer. Like, a leak is like. Yeah, um, that's true. I think the best thing to compare it to is the fact I'm obviously really excited next year because Doctor Who is celebrating its 60th anniversary and David Tennant is back as the Doctor. Rusty Davis is therefore I'm Googling that stuff all the time and there's pictures from the set and there's pictures. Here's David Tennant walking out of the TARDIS with pushing Bernard Cribbins on, in, a, in a wheelchair. I'm like, what does that mean? And, was, and that is, that's, I think, the equivalent, right, So is, is, is to that, to what we're talking about here is um, 
Um, I, you know, I'm giving snap, I'm getting snippets of characters and stuff, but I don't really know anything about this show, whether, you know, what this episode is going to be like, whether it is an episode, whether it, you know, I have no idea. All I know is I've got some still images, whereas with Grand Theft Auto, with some of the, I haven't, I didn't, well, I only watched, saw a clip of it on Twitter, so I didn't watch too much of it, but I, I immediately looked at it and went, no, oh, it's Grand Theft Auto, all right. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so I immediately get an impression, but it's obviously a lot easier to get an impression about what a Grand Theft Auto 6 is going to be when it's the latest in a very, very long running series of Grand Theft Auto games. So I, I don't, so um, I'm not entirely sure if anything we're talking about here is remotely like for like, but um, I, I, you do get an idea. I did get an idea what the game was going to be like. Um, and I don't know. I think in the long run, you know, Grand Theft Auto was trending around the world for a little bit. And I'm sure that once, um, and it hurt people and upset people and people having to deal with a bit of, uh, deal with abuse and it's horrible, but perhaps, you know, in, in hindsight in the future, um, people look back on it as a bit of a special moment when, um, uh, when you sort of, uh, Grand Theft Auto was, um, dominating the headlines once again. Um, we're running short on time, but I do want to touch on our thoughts on the the consequences, the implications of like the, of this. Because as you say, Chris, like you know, it looks like Grand Theft Auto. For all the whinging, people are going to be excited. It's still going to be one of the biggest selling products when it comes out. I don't know if it will quite hit GTA V's level of biggest selling entertainment product of all time. But in the immediate aftermath, there was um, concerns about like the impact this is going to have on other developers. Are other developers going to be you know? have you know tighter security and and have to like really examine their own systems to prevent leaks is that going to interfere with their jobs journalists i've seen have been concerned well does this mean that there's going to be limited access to things because you know people don't want to i mean this kind of this coincided with and this is a whole other tangent i don't not sure we have time for but the uh ubisoft nda uh, dan allen who was a youtuber who exposed himself accidentally as a anonymous Twitter account that was leaking details around uh, Ubisoft games. Like he'd signed an NDA and then just leaked the information via a separate thing. There's concerns like the combination of that and then this GTA leak, like is our company's going to start restricting press access, which obviously press to an extent rely on in order to get the inside scoop on games and to be able to get the content, you know, that, that, that their users will want. Um, I mean, Christ, you know, the amount of attention on these uh, these leaked videos have come around. Clearly, as we've said, clearly people want to know more about GTA Six. Um, yeah, thoughts on on the the consequences of this for the industry? None. Well, to, to quote Christopher Dringwright here, nobody really wins when a video game leaks, which was the the headline of the the, the op-ed you wrote a few weeks ago after the Nintendo Direct, right? And I do agree with that. I think nobody wins. That's it. That's very much my thought. Is that I don't see any. As you say, they could be restricted access on a bunch of other things, and I don't see any, yeah, any winner look, in this. Look, look at you. Sorry, Brandon, you wait. Hmm? Look at you just dropping a Christopher drink. <laughs> <in. laughs> well, I did agree about everything that was written in there, so I just steal it and pretend it's mine for a bit. That leak was that was particularly referring to people leaking the existence of things rather than leaking yeah. the game. Thing. Yeah, but it, it applies yeah, but to no, this no, too, I, I, I know think, what you're saying. I, for me, at least. But I, I, I actually think the industry is hurtling towards more transparency when it comes to its games that it's working on. It, it's in, it, it, and I think it's going to keep going in that direction. Um, the guy who, who who basically broke his own, broke the rules of the company is now basically never going to get any exclusives <laughs> or any <laughs> any heads up again. Um, that's just you know I don't think that's going to 
I don't think people are going to hold the entire games journalism and influencer community against it, one thing. When it comes to sort of, there is, I think, the need to tighten security. I'm sure all the major companies working on major games are looking at the security of Slack and the security of their um, services. Now everyone's remote working. I'm sure they did it in the first place, but they'll probably have to strengthen it even more. And that may require some extra levels of, you know, we, you know, <laughs> you know what happened when we got taken over by read exhibitions and you know, that stuff we have to do um, to just log on to our computer. Um, I suspect there's going to be maybe a little bit more of that. But I, I, I think the industry is just broadly moving towards, you know, telling people the games they're working on before they've actually started working on them half the time. You know, it's, it's actually not an even new trend. We've been seeing it increasingly over the last five, six, seven years. Um, and I think um, we're going to start seeing companies sharing their games earlier and earlier with people um, and just so that they can they can see the stuff. Um, but uh, I think that's where the industry is going. I think, this mo I think moments, I think... Rockstar got hacked, and, and there was a there's a influencer didn't behave properly, and I, I'm, yeah, I, I I'm not entirely sure it's going to have any long term impact on where the what the industry's decisions are, other than maybe tightening security. That is all we've got time for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can find previous episodes of this podcast on the podcasting platform of your choice. And you can find more news, insight and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz.